I'm back I've introduced myself the third time now, which is probably boring. Um, but I lead an organisation called Restored, which I have also said. But I did want to just talk a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Because we're an organisation that's been running for about 14 years now. Um, and initially set up really as a response to recognition of the enormity of violence against women and girls around the world. And working with organisations in different countries, helping them to combat gender-based violence you know, in their communities, in their churches, in their nations. And over the years, we've kind of had that recognition that actually the form of violence that most women will face is actually domestic abuse, which is an extraordinary and awful thing all at the same time. And so nowadays, our focus is very much on still speaking up about violence against women and girls in all of its forms, but on actually equipping the church to be better at recognising it, at standing against it, at speaking about it. So those things, I don't think, you know, I think it's really fascinating. As a church, I wonder, even if I ask you guys, how often you've heard domestic abuse spoken about in church? Or who's ever heard it spoken about in church? I think probably be one or two hands, because it's not talked about. Then that makes it feel taboo, even if it's not. And then people don't know how to come forward. And domestic abuse at its heart can look like lots of different things. You know, we've, we've got mental images, perhaps, of what we expect, people being black and blue. But actually, it can look like financial abuse. It can be emotional, belittling somebody endlessly. It can be psychological, slowly but surely convincing somebody that they're, they're actually going a little bit mad or that they've got personality disorder. It can look like all number of things, but at its heart, no matter what it is, it's always about power and control. It's about somebody thinking that they need to have power over and then pushing themselves upon somebody else and feeling the need and the entitlement, really, to control the other person. And what I want to talk about this morning isn't... I'm not going to talk about domestic abuse anymore. I'm going to stop. It's just good to put that out there and let you know we have got stands and we have got some resources, which I will leave you with. I'm going to tell you about these. These are three... Well, this is just an initiative we've got to partner with churches because we want to see a network of safe churches that we can signpost some of our survivors to who perhaps haven't found safety in their own church. Find out about that. This is a brilliant handbook. I can say that because I didn't write it. A brilliant handbook for survivors of domestic abuse or anybody who would like to find out more or support a friend or a, you know, a sibling or whoever. It's got all everything you could possibly want to know about you know, how to how to get out, how to restart, restart your life, everything from the practicalities of finance to housing to everything else. And then at the end, so most of that would be applicable to absolutely anybody. And then at the end, there are some, there's a section that's very specifically looks at some of the questions that Christians have. And what does the Bible actually say? I know I'm meant to forgive. What does that mean in this context? And the Bible talks a lot about submission. What does that mean? So it answers some of those questions. And this, I would recommend everybody get on, because that's my job but also because it just is the most phenomenal, comprehensive guide for anybody who might ever come across anybody who's ever, you know, been subjected to domestic abuse. And a guide for how to respond, to understand the law, to know some of the ins and outs of various bits and bobs. So those resources are totally available downstairs. But we give that survivor's handbook. Please hear this bit. But everything else, we send that to free to survivors. So if you ever have anybody, you can get one ordered on our website and we'll send one out. So that's... That's who we are. But what I wanted to talk about this afternoon kind of stems out of a lot of what we've learned within that context. Because the truth is, power, power and this power dynamics infiltrate all of our relationships. 
doesn't have to be a, you know, a romantic relationship. Every time that we connect with anybody else in any shape or any form, power is at play. Like it just is. We don't realise it half the time. And so it's helpful. That's why I've called it Be Aware. It's helpful to be aware. Because if you're aware, you take heed. And if you know, you watch out for just little things that we might do inadvertently that we don't mean to do. And actually, now we've caught it, we'll never do it again. But it just helps us to spot and to think about where we go and how we make sure that in our relationships, we're not making other people feel like we're trying to control them. Even if sometimes we'd quite like to. Because <laughs> there are these moments, aren't there? Okay, so at its basic, power is described like this. It's the capacity or the ability to direct or influence the behaviour of others or like a whole course of events. Well, we'll let the course of events go generally. But it's about that ability we have to influence other people. And here's the thing. I, you know, I've spoken to leaders all over the place and people who aren't leaders. In fact, recently I've been um, doing some speaking in Bible colleges. And it's really fascinating because before I go, every time I've had whoever's invited me in has said, Becca, it's important, you know, not all these people are trained to be vicars. They're not all trained to be ministers. Some of them, you know, they're not aiming for leadership. That's why I always, I always say this. I say, you might not think you're aiming for leadership. But you are, like, you are all leaders. In some shape or form, everybody has influence over the people around them. You might not have a title, you might not have a position, but wherever we go, whatever we do, the, the things we say, the things we don't say, the things we do and things we don't do, influence the people around us, even when we don't realise it. Which is why it's important to stop and to be aware and to think about it. So I wanted to start by having a bit of a think, theologically, about power and what the Bible has to say about it. I'm really sorry, this is a bit dim. Actually, can we turn yes. those lights on just slightly? Might make it vaguely easier to read. Um, I changed, I had some yellow writing, I got rid of that because that wasn't going to work at all. So, whether you can, I'll read it anyway for you. So, right at the beginning of the Bible, we find this verse that tells us that we're made in the image of God. And all the way throughout the Bible, oh, nice work, ladies. Good work. Then it comes. All the way through the Bible, we are. This word omnipotent that we use within Christian circles, which means all-powerful, is a word that you don't actually find in the Bible. It's never actually written just like that. But we see all these allusions all the way through the Bible to this all-powerful, almighty God for whom nothing is impossible, who can move mountains, who can create you know, the heavens and the earth, who can do all of these incredible things. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And I think one of the things that we sometimes get muddled about when we get told that we're made in the image of God is that we forget we're made in his image. We're not made God. And actually, sitting at the heart of so much of what goes wrong in the world, sitting at the heart of that word sin, that's, you know, not the most um, popular word in the world anymore, but sitting at the heart of nearly everything is this desire to not just be made in God's image, but actually the secret desire that we all have, even if we don't like to admit it. I'd just quite like to be God just quite like to be and we see that that's the purpose that's what goes wrong within the fall people wanting to have the same knowledge as god to be god to be on the same level as but the truth is we're made in his image men and women both made in his image and we're given extraordinary power god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures. We're given extraordinary power, extraordinary power and responsibility and influence as human beings. We misuse it 
all of the time. We can just take one look at the world around us and see that. But we have been made potent, like supremely powerful, incredibly powerful. But we're not omnipotent. We're not all powerful. And actually learning to recognise the power that we have and how to use it well, whether that's about the way that we steward creation, whether that's about the way that we enter relationships, whether that's about the way that we, you know, fight for justice, whatever that looks like, recognising the power that we have and using it well sits at the key of following Jesus, of recognising what it means to be made in his image and yet not actually be God. It really does matter. And it's a really helpful thing to get your head around. It's something that I only kind of read and began to read about much more recently. And I, you know, this, this I have to open, like the God's omnipotent, we're potent, I totally nick that. Um, Henry Cloud, who's brilliant talking about it. But it kind of blew my brain of, oh, it's completely right. In God's image means we're like, but we're not the same. We're like, but we're not the same. And everywhere around us, we see it going wrong. And I think at the moment, when we see what's happening in Ukraine, we see this desire to be omnipotent has gone to its highest heights, hasn't it? Like, we see it out of control. And we recognise it. But we don't always recognise it when it's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit closer to home. It's a bit more a power struggle at, it's a power struggle at work. Or it's our kids out, you know, fighting over who gets to choose what to watch next on TV. You know, <laughs> or our husbands. it's it's those things isn't it where it happens all over the place and we just don't know what it is some of us might be aware actually that other people it feels like other people have more power than us and that begins to get us into the the area which we're going so it's helpful to think about what healthy relationships look like before you know we go into looking at parent a little bit more in a different way so healthy relationships on a on a you know bog standard doesn't matter what relationship whether it's work relationship family relationship Romantic relationship, friendships, whatever. Essentially, both people know their value. They know their value. They know who they are. They know what they bring to the. They know what they bring to the party. They know their value. Both of them do, not just one. Now, there are always times with all of these things when the balance gets out of whack. There just is, isn't there? Like they're, they're just, we all go through our highs and our lows, and we all go through our moments when you know you just think, well, I don't know, well, I'm not bringing anything to the table. I barely got out of bed this morning. I just feel like a big old fat nothing. Like those moments aside, on a good day, we all know what both of our value is. And they both know that the other person brings value. That's really important. We listen to each other and we make changes based on the feelings and interests of the other one. We might know what we want to do, but when we realise that actually that's going to make our friends sad or it's going to make them feel frightened, then we might just change and we'll just adapt and we'll be ready. Again, going back to what I said yesterday, it doesn't mean we need to be a doormat, roll over on everything, there'll be give and take. Should always be and again talked about yesterday this mutuality going both ways both of us giving and taking but taking like caring i had a conversation with one of the survivors in our network recently he said the thing i've realized is about healthy relationships is often one of the biggest fears of people who've been subjected to abuse they're trying to you know they've come out they've come out the other side and they're beginning to think about maybe new relationships friendships or any anything so the thing i need is i need to know somebody cares how don't need them to always give me my way. Just need to know that they recognise how I feel and it bothers them because then I know that I'm safe. And I just thought, gosh, that's a really helpful way of beginning to understand that. This is a really big one. They respect each other even in times of disagreement. Now, I've got a, you know, a circle of friends where I live. And we've had a really rough couple, we've all had a really rough couple of years. But COVID's been particularly interesting with my group of friends because we've got 
the majority who were desperate to get their vaccine, you know, and, and everything else, and, and two or three who are deeply wary of the vaccine, deeply unsure about whether COVID is a hoax in the first place, and navigating that very different set of, you know, responses to the same issue has been genuinely difficult at times as a group of friends. I think it's got to points where the friendship group as a whole has, has almost like taken a step back and gone, wow, this is, like, who knew that something like this could spit a friendship group up that's been, has weathered so many storms in the past? And that, you know, I think one of the things that's helped us is to, at the centre of it, go, do you know what? We all want the same thing. We're all concerned about the same thing. We're actually all concerned about safety. We're all concerned about each other's best interests. It's just that we've each got different solutions for that. But it's been very hard. And there has definitely been points when respect went out the window because various people thought everyone else was a moron. You know, and, like, and there's moments of calm, and it, and it, but it's been a real challenge. And like, I have not been brilliant. I may have exited a WhatsApp group at one point. And, like, I may have, it's possible. <laughs> it may just have all got a bit much one day. But, you know, but it's that thing just going back and going. But I felt so challenged and thought, that's not, that's not desperately respectful. Like, that you've got to allow people to think differently to you and still find a way of recognising and respecting in the midst of it. I, just, I still find the whole thing extraordinary how, how divisive it can be. Divisive, that's not the word. Here we go. And here's another one about healthy relationships. I think it's really helpful to get your heads around. Like, they talk. We talk about our issues. And sometimes the reason we don't talk isn't because we're trying to be difficult. It's not because we're trying to be difficult. It's not because we're trying to hold stuff back. Sometimes it's because we, we think it's for the best. If I say this out loud, what's going to happen to my friendship? What's going to happen to this relationship? Maybe the whole thing's going to fall apart around me. I, I'm scared of speaking. Or, you know, I could, or it, we, what we've done is we've gone to the thing I talked about last night, that, you know, that honouring one another, you think oh, I just need to sacrifice my own desires, wishes, the rest of it. Well, that's not about mutuality. That's not about equality in a relationship. That's about me saying, my desires, my wants, my wishes, I'll just squish them all down. But actually, if you're with somebody who respects you, even if you disagree, and with somebody who cares about your feelings, it should be okay to talk. And those conversations that can be terrifying sometimes, and I speak to somebody who really doesn't like walking into confrontation very much, but I've learned, I've learned to do it anyway, so people might not believe that about me. A daughter in the front row trying to go, mm, I think you're fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind having them. Um, but actually those conversations, if we're able to navigate them, and they're much easier when we know that someone's going to respect us, even if we disagree, much easier when we know somebody else cares. These things all fit together. You can't have one without another. So with that in mind have a little bit of a think about how power plays out in relationships. So back in the 1950s, some couple of psychologists pulled together seven different ways that they saw, I think there's more, but I'm not a psychologist or in fact an expert in the area, but we'll come to that in a minute. So they, they, they came up with seven key ways that they think power can play out within relationships. And I think this is helpful, so I'll whiz through them quite quickly actually. So the first one is coercive power. And that's when you've got the ability to punish somebody who doesn't do what you want or doesn't do things the way that you've said. So that might look like a policeman who's able to arrest you or issue a fine. Or look like a teacher who can give you detention or a mum who can ground you. Uh, there's, so it can look like things that... And sometimes it's appropriate. Here's the thing. These things aren't always bad. Like, there's, there's a reality to them. And used well, there's time and a place. So that's coercive power. But, of course, coercive power gone wrong means people live in fear. 
which probably is not a good thing. Reward power. So this is the other way around. This is the carrot instead of the stick. This is when you're able to dish out, dish out good things. So please don't have so many of those. Teachers do. They give like, you know, reward points and send letters home to tell parents their kids are wonderful. As a teacher, that was always my favourite thing. I loved it. I ran one parent once who usually got the other kinds of phone call. And I rang and she went, oh, no, what's he done now? I went, no, 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 I'm ringing to tell you he wrote the best essay in history. She went, have you run the right number? And I thought, no, do you know what? How powerful to better do it? Sorry, that was a total aside there. But actually, that's when we can, we can reward people. And that's like bonuses at work and, you know, medals if you win a race and all the rest of it. Formal powers. This is what comes from having an official position. So the minute that I walked into a classroom when I was a teacher... I had that power that came with it in a way that the cleaner didn't if she walked in because she wasn't the teacher. I walked in. If the head of the department walked in, the kids behaved even, you know, what, significantly better than when I walked in, actually. And if the headmaster walked in, they stood up. So you can see how formal positions actually begin to have power in and of themselves. Connection power. This is one where people can do something for you. So actually, they've got something to give which is a little bit like reward, but they can connect you to people or they're connected to people who might have formal power or who might have coercive um, or reward power. Referring power, I find really fascinating. That's the power that comes from being liked by others. Now, if any of you can cast your minds back to being in school, you'll know exactly what this is. This is about being one of the cool kids. This is about being in the gang that everybody liked. And actually, that meant that you had all the power. When you walked into the common room, people let you have their seat. You wanted the, you know, and, and just that power that comes from being popular, which I found, you know, I mean, you know, is a definite, definite thing and extraordinary that it's kind of recognised in this list of different kinds of power. Informational power. This is what comes from being the person in the room who knows things. So this is... You know, something like, you know, the architect who comes in, you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to disagree wildly with how they tell you you've got to build your house. The doctor steps into a room and tells you about something that's wrong with you. You're going to listen and pay attention to what they have to say. I've been really fascinated recently, actually. Um, I've got a, a, a medical condition with my kidneys. It's not, not a very big deal, it's just a thing. But I went to the doctor and I've become eligible for a particular new medication that's out. And I sat with my doctor... And she said, so you're eligible for this medication? And I said, okay. Does that mean I should, like, what do you recommend I take it? And she went, well, that's not for me to say. <laughs> I was like, uh. And uh, she said, I'm just telling you you're eligible. And my brain was going, I said, but you've also told me that I probably will just, like, live into my old age with this. This has got side effects. I don't know whether or not it's worth taking it or not, she said, but you're just eligible. And it was driving me bonkers. Because I was like, you've got this informational power. You know this. I just want you to tell me what to do. <laughs> just want you to tell me. And I'll, and I'll do it. And actually, and then my husband's going through cancer treatment, and, and very similarly, the doctor said, so here's, here's you know, your, your options that you can choose to have or not. I'm like, well, if he doesn't, he's going to die, so I think we don't really have an option. But she doesn't say that, and it's fascinating. So I think that within the medical profession, anyone here who's within that, there's a real stepping away from looking like you're being coercive or using your power in a way that makes people feel like they don't have a choice, which on one level is good, and on another level, it's really frustrating as a patient. So in the end, we just went... If it was you, what would you do? Oh, you know, I'd have it. That's what we wanted to know. Because all of these powers, they have their really great uses, but we can also, we need to recognise that we own them. And when we go into places, we've got it. 
and expert power is very, very similar to the knowledge. You know, have you got a superior education? Have you got experience that you bring into the room? You know, I'm not about to start fixing my plumbing at home. I would totally trust my plumber to get on with it and do whatever we could. But again, that can be terribly abused. You think about when you take your car to the mechanics. I hate taking my car to the mechanics. Because I don't know what's wrong with my car. I have to totally trust the person who's there. And they've got all the power in the world. They could tell me, like, we had an issue with your car, didn't we, a while ago. And they, they messed us around royally. And ended up costing a, you know, nearly costing a fortune. Because they, because we just took them at their word for what they said, because they held all the power in the situation, and we didn't have any education or expertise that could combat them trying to overcharge us. Very interesting and, and, and helpful to see. And again, it's very easy, I think, sometimes to put ourselves on the receiving end of these things. But it's really important to recognise where we're on the, you know, the, what's the opposite of the receiving end? It's giving. Thank you. The giving end. And I just wondered... Sorry, I run out of words sometimes. I just wondered, because I don't think that's quite the limit of what some of the things that feed into giving us power in the situations that we're in. And I just wondered if, if any of you could think of any other things that kind of filtered in and go, actually, that's, that's something else that make, has, a, has a power dynamic in relationships and can make a difference, particularly in the church, some of them. There's some various different bits and bobs. This goes for first. Remove your power. They, oh. oh no! If I go back, it's going to have to go through all the clicks. Yeah, you're right. So actually, reputational power—the so ability to take away your reputation means they've already got some kind of formal power, or you know, they've got all the friends. So everyone's going to listen to them. But the reputational power is very similar, isn't it? Because if they're the one who—and we see that—I am going to keep referring back to domestic abuse because it's what I really know to talk about. But we see that very much for survivors who are perhaps you know married to or married to somebody who's got a position of power within the church, for them to speak up about what's going on at home is so hard because the story's already been cast about this person who's such a man of God, who's so, you know, such a brilliant worship leader, who's such a brilliant Bible teacher, and actually their reputation holds so much power over the, you know, the, the person who needs to go, you don't care, you don't understand what's going on at home. So that's, that can be extraordinary, yeah. And so there, there was something else over here. What was... I said character. Yeah, characters. There's, yeah, those two things, they're really, really linked, really linked. Yeah. Financials are huge. Again, I can speak to domestic abuse probably more clearly than anywhere else. But actually, even just within a church setting, if you've got lots of money, and you've got the capacity to be generous and give, you know, it, it, how, doing that in a way that doesn't make somebody feel beholden to you, doing that in a way that doesn't make somebody feel less than you because they can't reciprocate, is massive actually. And you see it a lot in church. I read a brilliant book by a lady called Natalie Williams. And she came into her she came into she came to faith a bit later in life, probably like late teens, early twenties, and came from quite a poor background. And she writes about what it felt like going to people's houses and she didn't she's like, I didn't know you were meant to take a bottle of wine. It was in her growing up that was never a thing. And you know, and that feeling of disconnect and not quite fitting in and like not getting it right and and some of that's about culture, but some of that's about power dynamics as well. And actually make, trying to find ways of that not, not being a thing, not fitting in. We did a thing at church we looked into called, I think it was called time banking. We never quite got there with it. But it was this recognition, and you see it a lot 
um, with aid agencies and charities now working with the as well. So how can we support people without kind of going in and being the ta-da, great white hero has come in and fixed everything? How can we how can we find ways of doing that? I'll come back to that a little bit later on, but that's a huge one. Money's a lot. And, and again, within domestic abuse, you see that in all kinds of ways. If you're the one with all the money, then how, how, does the other, how does the other person have any independence or freedom or wherever you go? So that's, that's a really tricky one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Ethnicity, race is a massive one that we see, we see around. You know, and, and again, it's one that I think that very often we don't recognise that we have. You know, in this room, white women mostly, you know, that's, we have extraordinary privilege. That's the word that we use. But like extraordinary privilege, I don't think we always recognise. I don't walk around thinking about it, so it's very easy to miss it, and very easy to miss the impact it can have um, on other people around us. Gender's the other one, I'd say, yeah? Absolutely. And again, another one that I think we just overlook, because we think, of course I don't think people are different. And yet, actually, the truth is, in our ability, my ability to walk around freely, do all the things I do, it means I've got... I, I literally can do things other people can't. So then I need to make extra steps and extra allowances to ensure that the, the, the level, you know, playing field's level for other people. Gender's another one, I think. And it, it, this can impact different ways in different scenarios. Age is another one again. And actually, what I was going to do... In fact, Jen, can you help me? Can you pass out? I was going to have a nice picture on here, but apparently it's fallen off. But Jen's going to bring round a sheet of paper. It's something that we've used a bit in the past called the Power Audit. And it's, it's coming... And I just want to take five minutes, and you have a little bit of a look at it, and to mark where you think you might have power rather than, or less power. And what you can do is, it's kind of like a, a scale, can I just knit one? So it's a bit of a, bit of a scale, so if you don't think you've got much power, you kind of mark yourself in towards the centre. If you haven't got a pen, just have a look. Um, you mark yourself in towards the, the centre. If you think you've got lots of power in that area, and it might be different depending on different situations, you can mark it out. And then, you know, if you join the dots, you end up with a big shape or a little shape. And there's no right or wrong answers here. And, it, and your perception of your power might be different to reality as well. And it might change from day to day. It might change from one year to the next. But it's quite a helpful thing to do, to go, where in my world, maybe think of a particular, relation, a particular relationship or a particular work, home, whatever. <coughs> Take one place, because I think this changes sometimes, depending on where you are. And have a bit of a think about areas of your life where you think you may have more or less power in your life. Uh, one is low, five is high. So if you're out towards the edge, you've got lots of power. It's just a helpful little tool to help you think, really. I'm not going to make you share anyone, it's right. Personal. One's low, five's high. It doesn't really matter, as long as you know what you meant when you did it. It's not a test. 
And if there's any there that you go, I don't even know what that means, tell me. Is that age? Yeah. I think age can have a massive impact and it will change. And again, it will depend where you are. So if you're a child at home, you'll feel like if you're young, your parents have all the power because they're older than you. But actually, as you get older, I think sometimes as we, as we you know, as you get older still and perhaps start retiring and, and getting a little bit less independent and a bit more dependent on your children, you can begin to feel like your power diminishes again. So it will depend on your setting. There's probably a bit in the middle where it doesn't feel like it's very influential at all. I know people who sometimes older, you know, people who are of older generations find it hard to get to the workplace. So it feels like they don't have very much power there either. So that can have... Or you can actually like the young one at work. And then you... So again, it is very situational, some of these things. Oh, so community is probably a little bit like you've got positions of power. Uh, so like you kind of recognise there might be friendship groups, but it might be that you sit on a local council, you've got, you know, positions, or you run a football coach or something like that. You've got a recognised position. Language is a big one, you know. Probably, again, probably not that significant in Israel. But if you're not a native language speaker in a country, that's, that's a huge thing. But it means if you are the native language speaker, so you've got power. Okay, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you have that, look at it, take it, think about it, leave it underneath the chair, yeah, whatever you want to do. Um, but I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to stop and clock, because the truth is, if you're an English speaker, you probably should be on something like a number five for language in most situations, because you've got something that other people haven't got, like this is power. And actually, it's helpful sometimes. Sometimes it's quite empowering to go, oh, actually, actually, I've got quite a bit of power here. I've never thought about that. This, this can be a really positive exercise, but it's really important to recognise what you have. So as you meet other people, you know what you carry, and then you can think about how you use it. One last thing that I think is really important, I think we've probably touched on it, is this idea of role power. So in your role power might change during the day. I met somebody once who talked about that, you know, they were a therapist. So when they're in their, you know, counselling room and they're being a therapist... They've got really quite a lot of power just in the title that they have. Because within that, somebody really pays attention to every word they say and takes it in and, and thinks about it and works on it and you know, goes home and continues thinking about it. So it's a huge power. When they go home, she talks about needing to take her therapist hat off and just go and be mum. Because you know, if she doesn't like, consciously think to change that, she goes home as, as the wrong, with the wrong part of her on. So actually understanding that is quite helpful. And those kind of things, it might be whether you're, you know, you've got a leadership role at church, it might be that you are a therapist, a doctor, policeman, teacher, but loads of roles, a boss at work. And actually remembering to take that hat off. I, I used to be a teacher and coming home, you know, my kids would very quickly tell me if I was in my Mrs. Egg eyes, uh, I think you forgot you'd come home, Mum. And I would do it in church sometimes as well <laughs> when I was leading church. I'd step up and if the room wasn't quiet, I'd just stand there. And I, it's, it, as a teacher, I got taught to have a hot spot in my room. So if I stood on a hot spot, I said about this. So I'm just waiting for you to be quiet. 
And I noticed myself doing it at the start of services when people didn't get quiet. I was like, stop it. <laughs> right? I was just like, teach your hat off. Church. You know, we'd, we're quite comfortable with talking about, you know, I'm going to put my work hat on or my home hat. But actually, those hats sometimes come with a fair amount of power. And watching how we use them and taking them off when we go out with our friends. Oh, that was the thing I found extraordinarily hard when I was a church leader, taking my church hat off with my friends who were also at church because you kind of always had it a little bit and it was a bit uncomfortable, but it was difficult. So, I mean, I think you're all here because you want to get it right and probably most of the time you are, but there are some really easy mistakes to make when it comes to managing and holding the power that God has given us and doing that well. And the first is just not recognising it, just not recognising that you have it. And sometimes not even realising the benefits it's had. If you have the benefit of speaking the native language, for example, if you've got that power in you, and you come alongside somebody who's struggling, in that moment you have the capacity to use your power to help them to communicate. And you can choose to do that in a way that's a bit demeaning, or you can choose to do that in a way that is just supportive. Like in, you know, it might be that you just take over, or it might be in a way that you go, oh, I think what you're trying to you know, there's ways that we can use that. You can use your power for good. And I think sometimes it's easy, um, it's easy to miss that. It's easy to misuse our power. Sometimes I think we, we can be so desperate not to be controlling and so desperate not to take over. And I think sometimes as women so desperate not to be bossy, this, I, this is me, I do this one, that I don't intervene sometimes when I should. Years ago, I went, oh, I didn't know I was going to tell the story, it's just come. Years ago, I went on a trip, it was a school trip to India. And within this school trip, we had a girl who was diabetic. And we'd been assured by the parents that she was fine. She was used to travelling. And on one of our layover airports, she was not fine. And she became unconscious. And we managed to get her back round. We managed to get some sugar in here for her. But she was not rock. She was not okay. But in this place and at that moment, I was not the leader. I felt absolutely positively sure that she couldn't get on this next flight. But the guy who was leading the trip, May had previously said that I was, you know, that I was quite bossy. And so in that moment, I thought, I don't, I don't want to, like, it's not my place, I'm not the leader, it's not my job, I mustn't be bossy, I mustn't prove them right, I mustn't. And it took me so much guts to eventually go, there's no way this kid can get, I will stay with her, we'll go to hospital, I'll stay with her. And everything in me was like, oh, you just, oh, I've been bossy and... You know, you think you know everything. Like, that was the inner monologue in my head. And it was the right thing to do. And it nearly killed me doing it. Turned out, this is just an amazing aside of a God story. Turned out my husband had woken up in England at the exact time I was having this inward dilemma in my brain. And knew he had to pray for me. And it enabled me to have the courage to get over my, oh, I was going to think I'm bossy moment. But, and actually use the power that I had. The power that I had as a mom to go, this kid needs to go to hospital. I can take her. And the reason I, I, I can take her, because I've lived in countries like this, I'm not scared, I'm not scared of an Indian city, an Indian hospital, I can do this. And the other part of me was going, who do you think you are? Don't play your own trumpet. No, 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 no. But I, I, I overcame the fear of looking like I was, you know, an idiot. And actually went, no, I've got hands, I need to use it. So don't not use it either. It matters that we do use it. And it's important we recognise when power is having a role to play in our relationship and that we do something to try and fix that another way. That actually we try and get in and move around it. You know, our impact might be very different from our intention. We might give somebody a great big gift or do something incredibly generous because we love them and we want to love on them. 
and it can make people feel beholden to us, and it can make people, and uh, navigating that is like walking a tightrope sometimes, like genuinely, and we'll make mistakes, and that's okay. But being aware of it helps us to get it right, helps us to do it in a, in a way that works, so that we don't disempower, disempower people inadvertently. It's so easy to walk into a room, and you know, I, I've, I watch this, I, like, I can walk into a room and make suggestions, and go, yes, Becca, of course we'll do that. I'm going to go, actually, you're allowed to say no to me. <laughs> you're allowed to say no. Just because, I, you know, just because I've come in as the boss, just because I've come in as the teacher, just because I've come in as the church leader and as a church leader doesn't mean you have to agree with me. But finding ways to make people know how to say, no, actually, Beck, I'm not sure I want to do that, is don't you get ideas there, Jim. Um, you know, actually, it's really important. I think you know what I mean by that. That is that permissioning people to disagree with you, permissioning people... To say no, I remember when I was a single mum, two little girls, and uh, my mum, she said, oh, I'll babysit, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other. And I said, you know what, mum, I will, I said, I will, I'd love to ask you to babysit, but I will only ask you if I know that you'll say no. Because I had a weird power dynamic in that, in that I was very needy, but she wanted, like, she's my mum and she wanted to make me happy. And I said, I can only ask you if I know that you'll tell me no if it's too much, otherwise... I start feeling beholden to it. Like, it was just a weird old mess, that one, really. But it does matter. And what we really need to be aiming for in all of our relationships, and this is what we work with when we're working with domestic survivors of domestic abuse, is empowering people. Because this is where, actually, it really begins to hit the fan. If we're trying to support people who've come out of a situation, whether that's domestic abuse, child abuse, any kind of abuse, frankly, they have been controlled, manipulated, had their power completely removed, their sense of identity, their sense of value has been stripped away. And when they come, finally, perhaps, and speak up and say, can you help me? Their temptation at that point is to swoop in like their guardian angel, fix everything, do everything, be everything, have all the answers, tell them what to do, give them all the advice in the universe that's going to you know, fix everything. And yet, actually, what we're really doing is stepping into this power vacuum and we're doing like, with totally different intentions, but actually with all the same results. And so the key, which is so hard sometimes, is to be able to walk alongside people. Give them options, like real options. So allow them to make, make mistakes. Allow them to make decisions you wouldn't make. To still respect them, love them in the midst of all of that. And really empower them. Like you can empower people by giving them information. Like that's an extraordinary thing. Empowering is your information. Here's a telephone number you need to bring. Let's look at this website together. Here's a group of options. Here's a form. I can fill this in with you. If, when ready and if you're not that's okay empowering is everything and i just wanted to finish with these verses from oh, i haven't put it on there oh i have philippians which i think demonstrate this so beautifully in the life of jesus because the answer is always but i love these verses of philippians i come back to them again and again and again and i come back to them and i find people who use theology to suggest that perhaps when we should always submit to men, because they're like Jesus, because this is how Jesus held his power. This is how Jesus did leadership. This is how Jesus, you know, modeled all of this to us. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, and even death 
on a cross. That's what it looks like to be omnipotent. Mm. That's omnipotence. It's in our potency. Mm. How do we live that out in the relationships all around us? So don't pray. Go away and have a think about that. Mm. Father, we just want to thank you that you have given us extraordinary power. And right here now, I just want to take a moment to pray for those of us who don't feel like we did. I actually wish I think I don't feel very powerful. I don't feel like I've got influence. I don't feel like anyone listens to me or that I've got anything. And I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would remind them right here and now who you made me to be. Extraordinarily powerful. Extraordinary. Made in your image. Just like you. Not you, but just like you. That you've given us this ability to influence to steward, to take care of, to protect. You've given us this ability to think, to make decisions, and to create beautiful things. Such extraordinary power that you've given to us. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to hold that wisely, to hold it lightly, to use it well, to be aware of it, not to walk through our lives blind to the gift that you've given us. And Father, those of us who actually thinking, I've been on the receiving end of uncomfortable power. I just want to pray your peace into their lives. And I want to pray that you will help them to find their voice and to find their power and to deeply root themselves in their relationship with you and to be able to work their way to more equal, more comfortable, more life-giving relationships. But that for each of us as we go out, we model ourselves in Jesus. Mm-hmm. That we would humble ourselves in a way that brings light and life all around us. And brings light and life to us too in the midst of it, because in the midst of that we're being just like you. So Jesus, just want to pray your blessing upon